you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. <laughs> You're sitting sideways on the airplane. It's a, I, got, I bought three seats so I can stretch out a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Put the armrests up. So. <laughs> Right. They look so realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite proportionate, you know what I mean? I, I'm in a little kid seat or something. But... Right. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously prompting us to talk about this. I've been doing tons of travel because of coming out to see my parents in uh, California, at least my mom, because my father passed away. And boy, there was a golden period about 10, 15 years ago where websites really had every airline and they really accounted for every feature and every price you might pay and you could go out and find the best deal and if you've done any of that kind of travel search lately it's next to impossible they a number of airlines don't cooperate with the big aggregators they do their own thing or whatever the information they supply to the aggregators is the basic will get you a seat on the airplane and then it's, oh, you wanted oxygen? You wanted, like food and drink is a, a, a thing in the past. Everybody charges for those kinds of things, but you can choose to pay for a different seat. They now have a little thing where right. depending on what your preference is. And it's amazing. You get a, a, the price differential between just getting on the plane and then how they try to upsell you. I've been, because I've been doing it so often, I've been trying to use Spirit Frontier, not so much JetBlue because I don't seem to fly where I want to, but they're the more budget airlines, Southwest, compared to the big Delta and American, whoever else. But having said that, it's just amazing how once you have a seat, every time you go to the website, like if you want to put in your TSA pre-number, it walks you through a whole bunch of screens that say, hey, did you want to add a bag? You're sure that you don't have any bags. You know what I mean? And if you have a bag, you're sure you don't want another bag. And here's the seat on each of your legs. And it's just amazing how I find it next to impossible. And so it's kind of, who have I learned to, what's the combination of trust and least hassle? And I know I'm going to get screwed, but who screws me the least? You know what I mean? It's just, I want it to be that that some website would say, I'm going to fight for the consumer. In a capitalist world, it's all about you have perfect information so you can make a perfect decision. And any step away from that is anti-capitalist, even though everybody talks about how we're all about capitalism, we're all about price competition, we're all about living in this wonderful country of ours, and then do everything they can to subvert it. <laughs> so it's just, oh, I, and once you start, so for instance, I'm going to be picking seats. Because sometimes it matters to get from Cleveland to San Diego. It's usually a, a, a long leg, like from Cleveland to Las Vegas, and then a short leg. And especially sometimes I've taken a red-eye flight because that's the only way to keep prices down. But man, sit, sitting four hours in a middle seat is just torture. And not yeah. only for me, but for, I'm a big guy. The people on each side, they right. just can't stand to see me come walking down the aisle and say, Oh, I have 22B. I'm right there with you. So, and th- now we get to the geekery, I guess. It's not only geekery trying to keep track of all those things. Keep picking seats is like, now I've been on similar planes, this flight, similar pl- again and again. What seat do I really want? Because what I want is the window seat so I can go to sleep if I can on the plane. You can see from the placement of the window there, sometimes it's right here where you're not able to nestle. It's right where you... It isn't comfortable. So, well, do I need 24 instead of 22? And it also matters what side of the plane you're on, because if you're flying out and the sun is to the south, side of the plane, Mr. Melanoma has to not hit direct sun for four hours. Am I going to have to have the screen down all the time 
just out of avoiding this inquisition level lighting <laughs> it's coming from the sun through my window we know where you were <laughs> exactly you know where were you on the night of so it it i don't know I, i'm and a little bit of when once you get to know the airports you're like uh, by luck once in a while i'm like oh i got off at a14 and i'm getting back on an a12 that's so nice compared to having to get oh. on a people mover go to another terminal occasionally the aggregators and their algorithms don't do, well, you're going to be on the same airline all the way through. You'll be on Spirit on one leg and then Frontier on another, and they're in different terminals. So then, and if you got, I've had times where I have a 35-minute time in between. They start seating at like 30 minutes before, maybe 45 right. minutes before the flight. So immediately I'm like, where am I? And I got to go to the bathroom because that was a four-hour flight. And then I got to make sure I know. And when you see that you're going from A to B, it's, oh, got to get out of oh, the people mover. And A, a to B. If you're in Atlanta, you could be like A to G, it's 5.2 miles. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I, thank you. The example I'm giving is actually an easy one. They're, they really do have, it's just amazing that you don't know all this information when you're buying this. And then only when it's revealed to you, it's well, I got a hustle. I don't want to make the OJ reference, but there used to be the commercial. I'm going to have to like vault over people just to get to my gate on time. And <laughs> And if it was Southwest, where it's not reserved seating, it really matters that you're there to line up because it matters that you get a better seat. Luckily, with reserved seating, you don't have to worry about that. But I got, I've been there where I really was like, they're announcing on the thing overhead two minutes before gate closing. The door, we yeah. will not reopen the door. Luckily, I only have my, my little roll. My, I have a, a laptop bag that rolls, but it's Amazing. You can't get up to speed when you've got this little thing that you have to wheel behind you. And like the moving walkways, for whatever reason, they're cutting back on energy and they're not running. Or I'm there at the airport when there's not enough pedestrian traffic to justify it. So they're not running. And so I can't even all the usual, maybe this will help you out. They've turned all that crap off for me. I'm on my own. (laughs) So I just... Again, the geekery aspect is now that I've done this like five times, I'm very aware of, okay, I'm in the danger zone on this particular thing because I'm here and I immediately got to check where am I going to and how far away is it? And I've had, uh, I often will try to get a tink and a drink, just like when you're stopping on the road, I can fit in a tink, but I can't get drink or food or anything. And by the time you travel six, eight hours, you can be pretty stomach growly. Yeah. You know what I mean? By the time you get there. So I I do. The thing that is nice. Now, I've seen the little video clips and pictures and stuff. Back in the day, people were like walking around and they were all dressed up, suits and ties, and they're eating like constantly. When was the last time they served meals on airplanes? With little, with little crystalline salt and pepper. Yeah. Because yeah. it was so special. But I do like that you could get text messages with updates. You can go and check and see what's running on time and not. Those things are great nowadays. That's true. Have I almost always I do whenever I can sign up for the SMS messages and stuff like that, and they've saved my bacon a couple of times where they'll have a gate change and no lie, just the previous trip on the way home I had gone from A to B because that was the next leg, and then they announced no, it's really is leaving from A, and so after I've been sitting there and like after a while you realize something's up. Where is everybody? But right. they haven't posted anything on the big board yet, and then you find out, and then it's okay, and there's this little. Kind of like seeing birds in flight where one bird follows the other. When you see people start to stream towards the people movers, like, I bet you that's all the same people that are screwed like I am who are <laughs> sitting around here. And now they got to recongregate. There's hoping they don't fill up the drain because then I lose 10 minutes or whatever waiting for the next one. Oh, the scrubbing <laughs> bubbles of airports. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, what's funny is I'm a big guy. And so I tend to not use my side. But if I'm going to miss my flight, I'm going to push my way onto that train, no matter how much people are already packed on there. You like right. you lose your body bubble, and especially we haven't gone into this. It's COVID is still around. I jumping a little bit ahead. I try to. The reason I'm out here is to visit with my mom, and every day while I'm here, I got when I was there the second day here. One of the staff leaders came up to me and said. We've had a COVID outbreak. Five people in the ward have gotten it. 
and one staff member. And so you're going to have, we're going to go into a kind of emergency mode. Your mom is, and they didn't let me know then that my mom was not one of them. But then I was like, okay, what can I do? And that now it's turned out okay. We get to meet outside in the courtyard. So there's fresh air and I keep my mask on and she's safe because they're keeping the people who do have it isolated quarantines. They, everybody there has PPE on and stuff like that. But it's when on all this in the airport, on the flights, 2%. Like I look around and I see me and maybe three, four other people. And honestly, I'm fully vaccinated. I probably could do without the mask, but I don't want to take any risk of me being getting it, being a right. carrier, not knowing it, bringing it into this closed facility where my mom is and me leading to my mom having problems or anybody else there in the ward. So it's, it's around it. It's still here. It might be that it's not the most lethal variations when it first got on the shore, but that's how viruses work. They become more transmissible and less lethal. So they, their reason for life is to continue to transmit within a population. They become more efficient in all those ways. Now it's not deep lung involvement. Now it's a cough. But and I think I mentioned from the last time, when you're on an airplane and someone has a deep cough and they're not masked, it's like, I don't care if it's COVID or not. What are you, Mr. Tuberculosis, Mr. Whatever you've got? Why in the world are you on this flight? Oh, yeah. I, I, lo- I love people like, oh, oh, yeah, I had pneumonia and bronchitis and I have a bit of a fever, but I'm OK. <laughs> right. And, and they're like two rows away. And especially tragic, of course. Who's going to change their travel plans just because they got a little bit sick? But then you hear a baby crying because it's so stuffy. And in between crying, it's snorking. And they don't have any, they don't even have, they're not covering their mouth in any way. They're just a snot and droplet fountain. Oh, my God. So (laughs) I'm going to use that. I hope you, you that's going to be in a book somewhere. So many of every conversation about COVID nowadays, before it was, Oh my God, a tragedy and a pandemic. And now it's, man, this country is so filled with irrational, with stupid, with reckless, with selfish. It just breaks my heart. I don't want to get it. I don't want to bring it to anywhere else. And yet I don't, maybe other people are, hey, I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I'm okay. And yet there's not that sign necessarily. You know what I mean? There's not the sign of everybody is still being cautious when someone coughs. Some people reach for their masks and others don't. Yeah. And so it's. (laughs) Here's a geek reference for this. So there's a couple games this make me think of. There's the board game pandemic. You've cooperative, great game, difficult game, but it, you can, obviously it's not a real life simulator or anything like that, but just the fact of how difficult it is and how the stuff will spread in the game through the mechanics, it gives you an idea. Yeah, we, we actually played the year, and it's not only a single version, they had a year-long version. I think yeah. I might have mentioned this, where Colleen and I and Steve and Amy played that monthly for a year, and if we didn't win, we were doing really well going into the 11th month, 11th month, and it is perfectly built so that there's so many things that you'd have to have incredible luck and skill and preparation to be able to survive the last outbreak of we, and we played that last round twice to see we didn't do this can we try this variation and we got thunderingly killed so that's, that's the a, uh, a le- le- to, that's what we're facing legacy version or something like that where it's exactly. a one play or something right uh, yeah it anyway it, it, i there's a prepared me for this that we want you get something that infectious it's just all you need is one person coming to the wedding and 150 people get it you know yeah. what I mean? All you need is one person at a concert, one person at a, all the super spreader events that we've read about. It, it's all so predictable, and yet people don't, I don't know. It, it's all a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's a, an iPad game. It's, I've got it on Xbox. I forget the name of it, but it's you play the virus. You're trying to take over and destroy the world. And right. you get points as you do things. To, to enhance the virus and change it. Because if you just stay with Windborne, then they develop, the humans develop things to protect themselves and vaccinate and blah, blah, blah. So you have to mutate, you have to change, but you have to take over enough of the world to get points to be able to do that. And right. it's a good game. It's interesting because they show a map 
and you, you see the red spreading and they'll even show like planes and some will go red. It's like, oh, somebody's infected on there. They're spreading it to another country. That's and very effective. Yeah. Man. yeah patient scary. zero is bringing yeah. it into this whole country. Exactly. Where they have no defenses. Yeah. I, I we've talked about this a little bit before. I did work with genetic algorithms for a couple of years, a programming technique that mimics natural selection in order to solve difficult problems. One of the things that I would say in that game is, it is, I'm willing to bet that the smarter strategy is not to try to do your quotes, intelligent design and make decisions for the virus. You should randomize everything. I can do three things, roll a die, one to two, three to four, five to six. And just that's the way that nature works is I've got a population of 100,000 and I'm going to cause random mutations in 100 of those, but you don't know what and you don't know where. And that's what's maddening is there's no pattern to be found. Sunspot activity, random changes in DNA and RNA cause new things. And by the most effective new things are what work. But there's always that catch up of we didn't know it was going to do that. Now we have to find out what it's doing in the first place, then code against it, meaning antivirals and whatever like that. My, my guess is if you just played the virus, um, a mindless, like, voracious replication play, machine. Play it like you, Kirk plays chess against Spock. Like that, exactly. No, no predictability. Don't try to be. Anyway, I have a lot of confidence that nature in trying everything and seeing what works is smarter than a person supposedly trying to predict the future. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm going to try that. Now I want to go play the game. I'll try that later tonight and see how it goes. Especially depending on who your opponents are, they're going to be like, what do you mean you're not? I'm doing the most effective strategy. I'm just well, letting the wind take me. In that game, it's just you as the virus against the computer AI, which is human. Ah, it's not other players. Got yeah. It. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's fun game. It's one of those that I like. I like it because I can play a quick game and just, it's almost for me, a relaxing, one of those nonsense relaxing games. Or if I really want to just push it, go up on the expert level and make, and get rid of some restrictions and things to make it difficult. And just for a challenge. So yeah, it's a good yeah. game. That's often I play civilization in that same way too. When I want just something fun to do, I'll play it at the low level. And then I'm more able to compete for resources, predict what the computer is going to do. If you play it at a high level, you're like, I really got to pay attention and I really got to get lucky. And I really got to use terrain and all the other things. You have to be very involved instead of just, I'm going to do this in between other things. Yeah. I don't mind losing a single player game against the computer. If it's a good challenge, if I know right. I'm really having to push myself and I still lost, then it's like, okay, I'm going to do that again later. But you get that challenge. But the easy games, I do that with some of my deck building card games I play on against the computer just to relax, I'm expert hard and restrict. Because yeah, yeah. if I just do it on easy, I can almost just sit there and click and win. You get that challenge. Exactly. I like that. There was a, a very good game called Strategic Conquest. It was a world domination game at, for the Mac probably 25 years ago. I don't think that they are they're producing it anymore. But Did it you have had, to like get it running with punch cards? It's, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Actually, you mean the state-of-the-art Macintosh user interface that was better than anything? Yes, that one. That's right. Yes. So it, and actually, this is funny. The same company made a solitaire game that was the first one where instead of having to like, click, drag, and place cards correctly, you could throw it towards where it should go, and it knew enough to go black goes on red, and seven goes on eight. And so it was twice wow. as fast in playing solitaire with just how it would it would do what it would anticipate, and only when there was, you threw a two, and do you want to put it on the ace, or do you want to put it on the three, and then it would either ask you, or you, I think it would probably do a default, and if you wanted to undo it, you had to say, oh no, I meant to go on the free because I don't want to build the ace. I just want to get to the card underneath, whatever the reasoning might be. So they actually, just like a, a game called The Fool's Errand, were one of those breakthrough games that really showed off. We can make a game that's just not, not only a simulation of what you've done before, we can have a little bit of computer smarts that'll make it that it's faster, it's easier, it's doing what you would do. So if I could 
flip cards like lost his name, Rick, doesn't matter, uh, where, I had, where I could do it accurately, then of course that's how I would play solitaire. I wouldn't discreetly put cards on top of cards. I just go, jing, 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 jing. Ricky J, by the way. God, I love that the brain works that way. <laughs> you know what I It just, every time that that happens, I'm like, okay, at least that's still with me. I might not remember everybody's names nowadays. You know what I mean? Whatever little bits of me are fading as I get a little bit older. But it's just so cool that I still have those little file clerks that are going through. We'll get it for you, Mr. Ball. Ricky J, here it is. And anyway. So, so what, what other topics do we want to hit on? Because, you know, we do our normal, hey, what do you want to talk about? Okay, here's about five hours worth of stuff. And we right. do five hours of stuff every week. So we only talk about an hour or so. So we've really got a backlog of about 40 episodes without That's anything true. new happening. And it's kind of like a to-do to -do list. If you didn't get to it and it's four weeks later, yes, it never needed to get done. Right. You know I, mean? I, I found a list. I'm like, oh, there's my old list of relentless geekery topics. And oh, we never did talk about that, did we? Right. And, and it's funny. I will say, so to address exactly that, I get a lot of magazines still. I tend to like, when I go to lunch, I read a magazine instead of checking my phone or like that because I like that experience of actually reading and reading a longer article that's more thoughtful than just the snippets of the little bits that you make a mosaic out of. Once in a while, that backlog becomes great enough that I'll read a magazine, no lie, that's like a quarter old, an old time or Newsweek or This Week or whatever else it might be. And it's very interesting to read from three months ago, here's the hot issues and which ones are still hot and important and which ones were overhyped and faded away. And, and so you you're very aware of the news cycle about how it's going to, everything's going to be. It's now, it's big. You got to worry about it. And it's all of that. It caters to fear, not interest in a lot of ways. So it has helped me to like, always I have a guy sitting on my shoulder going, how important is this going to be in a quarter, in a year? We're still fighting a war in Ukraine, but Ukraine news is no longer day to day. It's faded from the main topic. Yeah. Now we're dealing with the Dobbs decision about abortion. Now we're dealing with the January 6th in, uh, hearings about the insurrection and things like that. And so I get that there really are important things that we really should focus on while the news cycle is going. But there's also so much hype, so much crap that intrudes and pushes other things out. You know and, what I mean? And, so, and actually, and I love that too. I've got a stack of magazines on my bedside stand. I, they release those special edition things, which is like one magazine all devoted to one topic. And they come out exactly. like a recorder. You know, history you know, of the Who or something Yeah, like that. I, I get a bunch of those mm -hmm. that I enjoy. But believe it or not, a lot of the other magazines, Business, Insider, Newsweek, that stuff, when I am in the mood to peruse one, I'll check it out of the library through my Kindle. You can do it digitally. Because I don't know when I'm going to want to read that. But that does, let's geek this out. The news has changed. Obviously, most people read the news online on their phone. Newspapers have taken a huge declining hit over the last 20 some years. Absolutely. But the cool automated thing is there are news apps on my phone where I can say, I'm interested in this type of news and this type of news and this type of news. And, and I, I will, yeah, and read it from this source and this source, but not this source. And you really curate what you want to hear and see. And then individual items, okay, I don't want to hear any more about. Donald Trump, and they won't pull in more Donald Trump, but other political news, or you can really, that's so geeky right there, but yeah, it takes time to flip through a newspaper to find those one or two articles. Here, it's just everything's what I want. Yeah, it's kind of funny. A friend of mine, Bill Slankert, and I had a talk long ago, honestly, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, about when that becomes available, what would you do? And he really was much like you. I'm going to get Pretty much exactly what I wanted, only from certain news sources. And I was a little worried about would I silo myself too much that I would, because I already like the quality of the reporting and the voice of this, that I might miss the random things that I also discovered. Like when I walk through a bookstore, I usually go to my science fiction and fantasy and my humor and my puzzles and various other things. But once in a while, when you're walking by an end cap, you're like, well, that's intriguing. I didn't know that guy was not only working in science fiction, but was also doing and it's a cool cover or whatever. So I was like, I would have to have some percent, 10%, just random, right. things through my sieve so that I would be occasionally surprised, maybe chagrined, maybe delighted, but 
I would get new things. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to be that I really narrowed myself. And once in a while, it would be, let that through. And that's utter crap. So please, never again from <laughs> whatever, America, AON, whatever the... <laughs> Have we talked about this before? Colleen works for America United Life, a big insurance company that does big retirement plans, 401ks and 403bs. Now there's America United News Network that they've actually had, they've been mistaken for them. And America United News Network is crazy. It's one of those bad news sources like InfoWars. And they really, they don't cater to fact. They, they are all about propaganda. And so when Colleen comes in and has to explain, no, that's not our news wing. We don't do that. We do this thing where we help you retire safely. It, but it's, there used to be that people would try not to step on each other's names and that stopped a while back. Well, and now there's well, such a it, proliferation of crap that they just grab whatever they want and count on their own. And they sometimes do it on purpose. Just look at websites. Yeah. yeah, there's websites that instead of microsoft.com, it's mycoresoft.com. They just switch two letters. And when you go to it, it looks identical to Microsoft. So you click login and you give them your username, password, and you just gave the hackers your information. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, too big a topic to talk about because there's so many examples. But one of the ways in which if you're at all a critical thinking news consumer, you started to be aware of, wow, they just called that bill in Congress the Clean Air Act. And it's nothing like that. It enables pollution. It's that you right. can name things, anything that you want, like the, the whatever, the various different packs that have sprung up. Americans for prosperity. And it's not about that. And Americans United, and it's one of the most bigoted, it's just the weirdest thing to see the shamelessness with which people lie and try to put on a, they're the wolf in sheep's clothing, and they're just trying to get the sheepiest sounding thing so that they can have you before you're aware of how much you've been fooled. Uh, it's it, maddening, you know? I, the, okay, so I, one of my all-time favorite authors is Michael Crichton. Uh, okay. When I read Jurassic Park, first book by his I read, I was just blown away by it because he is a fiction writer. I understand that. He writes mostly action. I understand that. It's, it, but he also throws science in there. And it's right. usually... It's not unbelievable. It's actually one step removed from what we know about today. Yes. Know? Yeah. It's a lot like Harry Turtledove writing alternative... History. That yes. He puts... Uh, there, in those books the guns of the South, there's a million and one facts and real stuff about the civil war. He just throws in his own take on what they actually said or that type of thing and, exactly. and machine guns. <laughs> so <laughs> right. right. Those little perturbations make the rest of it all the more believable because all the rest is authentic and correct. But I mean, right. Yeah. And who was it? Arlington cemetery started out as Lee's house. And it became a medical for all the people mm -hmm. killed, shot, whatever. And they started burying them and it turned into, I never knew that. Why did I go to school and never learn that? And I had to read a fiction book to learn that because that's the <laughs> truth. My point is there's a book by Crichton called State of Fear. And I know it's a little older now, but he covers this topic. And I know it's a made up organization and I know what they do is probably made up mostly. <laughs> but yeah, unless some of they the, read this book and said, what a great instruction manual. Yeah, exactly. Pull this off. But yeah. some of the stuff he talks about with the news and the propaganda, and he tries to, to get characters in there that have different viewpoints and different sides. Yeah. And the biggest thing is when they're going for a court case and they're talking about climate change and stuff like that, they're bringing in real data, real issues because it's the lawyers trying to find all the holes and they're exploring both sides of it. So those now, it, it, did they really see an increase in the Atlantic Ocean of this many temperatures and this? Not necessarily, but the actual what, how they use the data. That was the more important point, how they twist it to look how they want. But that I've read that book two or three times. And yes, I know it's fiction. It's made up. But there's things in it that I can see in the real world. I'm like, oh, I think differently about certain that things. That might and I'm be what's like, going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you've never read that book, 
I so recommend it's good. Not. I've read like maybe four or five Crichton, but I haven't read all of his. And he's another guy I truly should because I really admired that he was a good hard science thriller writer. You know what I mean? Some people just the premise for the book is implausible. And yet I like it where it really is. Wow. It's tomorrow. It's not today. It's just one little extrapolation. Right. But what will really happen? Jurassic Park with the, getting the blood in the mosquitoes and the amber. From the that amber. was real. They were really doing that. Now, it wasn't yeah. viable. They didn't make it work. Obviously, that next step. But at the time, that was a new discovery. So again, he's using the real stuff. And yeah. it's funny because you mentioned the Jane Hawk books, which you're reading. I'm actually on book two. <laughs> yeah, I'm there's on book another, five, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's another Crichton book called Prey, which deals with the same thing with nanotechnology and taking over human bodies to make them perfect, but it sucks their soul, their life out of them, essentially. Right. Similar type of thing to the Jane Hawk novels. Yeah. And so thank you. What a wonderful segue. I really like Dean Koontz in a way that I was almost not wanting to like him because my first experience with him was kind of like monster books. There was a, maybe I'm trying to think of, he had a couple early things that were translated into TV or movies that I thought were lightweight and unbelievable. But I stumbled onto a series of his called Odd Thomas. Oh. That, you know, that they're really good. And in a way, like he spins good phrases. I like people that's not only the plot and what they're writing about, but the craft that they put into it. Yeah. But some of those, his sentences are so beautiful that Colleen and I have our last half hour in bed when we're reading our books. And I'll be like, listen to this sentence. Listen how perfectly crafted this is. And so I really like that. And then once I fell into him with Odd Thomas, I then started to investigate. I read his Frankenstein books. Now I'm reading the Jane Hawk books. I'm trying to think, and he has probably honestly 40 or 50 other individuals. And sometimes there's shared bits, but they're not necessarily a series. As you have the series reading type thing that I just like that usually better because I like to see things out over time and a return to familiar characters, they become friends or whatever. But I like his writing so much that now he's one of the guys I'm inspired to say, let's go all the way back to book one. Even if I, if he was rougher when he was at the start, I kind of want to read everything that he's done because I really like well, him as an author. I trust him. His you know older I mean? stuff very much is more on the horror vein okay. and, and pretty much stays along those lines. He's gotten into more thriller in these last couple decades, okay. it almost splits. Keep that in mind. And his horror stuff is hit or miss. There's some that I'm like, wow, that was really good. And there's some that I'm like, okay, I'm done with this one. It just it didn't grab there's me. There's a movie called Watchers or something. That's a like pretty a... good one. Okay. Watchers <laughs> actually is one of my top 10 books of all time. Cool that I named that one. Is that the one yeah. with the Oxfam, the composite creature, or is that a different one? No, the, the Watchers okay. has the, uh, the Golden Retriever. That's intelligent. Right, that, that's been uplifted up yeah. so that he's intelligent now. Okay. Yeah. If you like Odd Thomas, which yeah. I've read those books a couple times, I think the last three were a little, I think he started it and realized, oh, this could be a whole series. And as he got done with the first three, he's like, what do I do for a whole series? And I, it started changing it for me in book four. I think the first three that's are the it. best. Yeah, they, they have a good combination of whimsy and action. And by and as the threat grew and his awareness of what might have to happen in the world, it got they got not just darker, but like more down. They were I, still okay and fun, but not as whimsical as the first series. I could be wrong, but I feel that after book three, that's when he actually came up with what do I need for the overarching plot for the last four? Because they almost don't seem to fit for me. But if you love those books, yeah. get the audiobooks because the narrator nails Odd Thomas's tone and sound. And that's how I discovered the books through audiobooks. Audio. And I love the audio so much. I've listened to it a couple of times and went and bought the books. So I highly recommend the audio. Some people, audio is subjective. Some people are like, oh, it yeah. doesn't, like, doesn't sound like my head. It throws me off. But I thought it was perfect. And if you're looking for good books, look for the Seize the Night. The main character in there has pro something if he, I forget the name of it, but he's uh, uh, has no melatonin. So he's like an almost an albino and he can't go in the sun. 
Um, And that's a good story. And they actually have a crossover story between that one and Odd Thomas at one point. Interesting. Okay. Season Night's a good one. Very good. My kind of funny, whatever my obsessive nature is, I tend to not, if I'm going to do it, I tend to like, let's, if I'm going to read Joe Nesbo, who is a good Swedish or Norwegian, I think Norwegian, I think Oslo, right? Yes. A thriller writer. When I discovered him and it was like, oh, I got the third book. I don't want to read the third book. I want to read the first one and then the second one and then the third one. So I had to go on the hunt and the hunt is part of the joy of it. What I mean to find it, but just that I'm probably going to go and read like it, happily within the first few pages of the book. They have other books by Dean Koontz. <laughs> I think that they're in chronological order. So I'm going to make myself a spreadsheet and I'll keep track of what it, I'll be able to find it in good condition. It matters to me that I have a, not just a reading copy, but that I still have a good copy. But if the book's 30 years old, will I really find something where it isn't chewed on, uses well, the doorstops? Well, of his stuff has gotten reprinted so you could probably find a reprint copy with a good cover and stuff that's probably true keep it in circulation yeah now now one of the other writers i remember reading when i was young john saul horror writer big name and stuff i went back and i read a few of his books even one of them that i remember loving when i was a kid and i'm just like eh, he's not grabbing me i've read two or three books again as an older adult i'm like "Eh." but what i heard was i was talking to somebody i'm not going to name names this time but somebody in the industry that has like had lunch with Saul and is a bigger name in that realm. But he said, Oh, that's probably because he does not like writing horror. He wanted to be a thriller writer, but because horror was big, his agent and publishing company made him do horror. And now he got known as horror. So that's all they'll print. They're like, yeah, we're not going to print something. That's not a horror novel. And, a sad trap to be in. That, yes. That's not the love that, oh. But, but the thing is in today, and he's older now. So he might be like, oh, screw it. I've done this for 40 some years. I'm not changing now. In today's world, all he has to do is come up with a pen name. And he could even, Michael Crichton even made some books under a pen name. And now they publish them as Michael Crichton writing as writing it, like John Boston Lang, I think it is, King. or something. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I know that that's happened for people, like you said, that want to work in a different field. J.K. Rowling did it from post Harry Potter. Or people are just so prolific that they can't flood the market with five Stephen King books a year. So they have to put it out so that there's more shelf space or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? So, okay. Right. So, but yeah, there's all my recommendations for. Dean Koontz books. <laughs> That's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll throw another one out there. Is it not Robert, R-O, he does the Repairman Jack book. Can't I think of his name? It'll come to me again. Come on, file clerks. I picked the first one up because I read a full quote from Stephen King that said, one of my favorite series you haven't heard of is Repairman Jack. And so I think a lot of Stephen King. I think I think maybe I'll like, and He's also is a very good interconnected series about kind of demons or at least otherworldly presence coming into the world and the organization that here that worships them and supports them and other people that are aligned to Repairman Jack being one of them to try to stop all of those incursions. And their Repairman Jack, the fun of the character is he's a guy who's made a point of living off the grid because he takes on jobs for people that have been abused by either the system or especially a bad part of the system, and he will help even the odds. He'll repair the problem. And while the overall tie of the books is fighting this big menace, he's also dealing with these other smaller cases. And every one of those little comeuppances is very satisfying with, here's the the dirty auto dealer that sold somebody a lemon, and how do we get back at him or something like that? So they really are, they're a good read. And then he had a very good sub. Paul Wilson. Paul Wilson. Paul F. Wilson, Paul O. Wilson. Anyway, he actually, one of those cool things where for the last three books, he had something like, okay, we're coming up to, he has not only the Repairman Jack books, but he also has the Adversary Cycle and a couple other series. He did medical horror for a while. He did things about longstanding conflict between good and evil, vampirism, and a noble guy. And he finds a way to tie all of that together into the book Night World. And so he says, I'm coming to the point in Repairman Jack where it's all going to come together and collisions and cataclysms because of it. So 
this isn't three individual books. Think of this as what's called a river novel. I'm just going to cut it off at 300 pages because that's what they'll publish. But it really is going to be like the next minute is the start of the second book. So I really like that he was aware of what he was creating and said to his fans, strap yourself in. We're going on this wild ride that I've come up with. I'm really proud of what I've done. And I think that he might, it's interesting you said earlier, that he felt himself a little bit in the trap of a lot of other things he had written. Nothing, I think, had been as successful as Repairman Jack. And yet he had a conclusion for the series, like somebody was going to end. And then what am I going to do? Then they turned out. They backed a dump truck of money up to his house, and he said, okay, I'll write a couple prequels of him as a teenager. And I don't really know that, but I suspect that some of the other things that he put in between or subsidiary characters or spinoffs or whatever, it's because somebody said, please don't leave money on the table. If you can give us a couple books of young repairman, Jack, we want to publish them. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So do you think the dump truck was full of $100 bills or pennies? Because, you know, that makes a difference. My, my, yeah, I always pictured as full of like hundreds so that even as you open the gate up and they start fluttering around, you would chase down each one of those hundreds. You might leave a couple pennies on the ground, but you're going to go after the hundreds. It kind of goes back to the old, <laughs> what weighs more, a ton of hundreds or a ton of pennies? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. As a, I think that's a reference, by the way, to a Simpsons episode. Doesn't Krusty the Clown say, well, how did, why did he sell out? <laughs> Yes. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I took the kids to the happiest place in the world, Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's always good to attribute the, the phrases that I've adopted. Right. Simpsons is a good source. <laughs> yeah, Simpsons has done so much. Exactly. They're, they're almost alternative history at this point. <laughs> Honestly, how many times has a scene almost played out verbatim right. from the parody they created of The Simpsons? Yeah. Because yeah. we do have shameless politicians and shameless performers and whatever else it might be. And they don't realize how absurd they sound when they're saying something that somebody wrote to get ridiculous, embarrassing laughs. I watched a YouTube <laughs> video that they took actual talk that Trump was doing at one point explaining something. And they turned it into a drunk history episode. It would be so easy. Exactly. (laughs) There there wouldn't be any trickery. There would just be putting together the right blurb that he said. And they weren't even putting (laughs) editing it or anything. They took it straight. And it was just like, oh, my God. I'll, (laughs) I'll tell you, to jump back a little bit. So here we are reading Jane Hawk. And one of the things that I like about him is he doesn't just deal with the protagonist, the antagonist, kind of opposing forces, he gets into the head of all different kinds of characters and gives you what they're doing from their perspective. And it's very a very good illustration of everybody's the hero in their own story. You could be a stone-cold sociopath, but if what you think you're doing is fighting for justice, making the world a purer place, doing what your daddy would have wanted you to do, just what you do is psychotic. It's crazy yeah and it's uh, disturbing uh, how well he writes those though you know (laughs) his wife probably sleeps in a locked room by herself (laughs) exactly (laughs) he's got that look in his eyes tonight he went too deep you know that even saying that the motives these guys are giving for what they're doing okay on the surface on paper you could say okay i can but it it doesn't really work that way it's just it's so out there psychotic that they're making it a better world by predicting who's going to make it a worse world. It's just, wow. <laughs> you can't even wrap your head around how disturbing it can be to hear some of that. It's, there's a, what's interesting about the books is there's a, a conspiracy theories abound, but it's not only bad guy conspiracies. There really are groups that are continually monitoring to make sure that when they see bad patterns arising, they don't let it blow up. They like get over there and nip it in the bud. They, so it, to see the, and I guess there's all kinds of spy thrillers that were always about this. When you read a, a Jean Le Carre book or a Ludlum or whoever, the continually shifting awareness of each other, the alliances, the defections, the betrayals, the generational saga of what's gone on for people that have been on opposite sides of that spy chasm for a long time. And that they actually, they're very simpatico. They understand what each of them is going through, that they live in this wilderness of mirrors. 
and that nobody understands. The whole world doesn't understand you guys, but you understand each other. And it creates this interesting bond, kind of like Batman Joker, kind yeah. of where there's a need for each other. And so that's a lot of what I get from the Coots books is that he really does have, of course, not all the way plausible, but good enough to be useful things about that there really are all kinds of government agencies that sometimes cooperate and sometimes conflict, but they're all doing their job, open security versus the FBI versus the CIA versus name the next six made up ones that he has. And that it like happens in the real world, those things aren't perfect and pure. All you need is a fanatic getting in charge and all the resources of that organization now get turned, twisted into not the original cause that this thing was meant to operate about. So I like that, that they're at the heart of it, they're very human because they talk about people have motivations that I, people are 17 layer cakes. <laughs> and most of the time we see like maybe the icing and maybe we're aware of, does it have a soggy bottom or not to quote the great British baking show, but they're very complex. And when he goes into what kinds of things like this guy's a stone cold killer, but won't kill a child. And that's a trope within the assassin community, no women, no children. But then you find out that there's very proficient women assassins. How would you deal with it if they sent one of those after you? He's just, he does very interesting little morality plays and little what really motivates a person. And then they surprise you that as much as, much as they're really evil, they like getting or whatever <laughs> else it might be. They appreciate the beauty of nature, even if they just splatter blood all over it. You know what and I mean? Along those lines, just the protagonist of the whole thing is so many sides. She's a rogue FBI agent, but she's rogue because of what happened to her husband. And she knows there's a problem and she wants to prove it, but she doesn't have the backing of the government. So they're hunting her and she's hunting the bad guys and they're starting to hunt her now too. And right. some of the stuff she does is a little outside the law. So does that make her a bad guy? It's that anti-hero aspect, but she's also a woman protecting her child and trying exactly. to find out what happened. So you're right. You've got these mixed emotions, which I think is exactly what he wanted to do. It'd be totally different if it was just some FBI agent trying to hunt this down, some right, guy. Or right. Yeah, it's, so. it's funny. I'm, I'm into it now, and I'm wanting to uh, finish it before I get on the plane, because I know instead of sleeping, I'm going to read this book. And maybe that's okay. If I wanted to watch reading a great book boy the time just disappeared yeah. i'm gonna be on a four-hour flight from vegas to cleveland oh we're landing i love <laughs> i love a book good enough for that so maybe i'll save it maybe i'll devour it we'll see what happens. as long as you don't get a seatmate that's going so you fly often wow look at that weather oh shut up i don't care i don't <laughs> yeah, know yeah. you i won't talk to you yeah, in I two won't. hours yeah hold <laughs> my book up between us can you uh, see yeah honestly I haven't had anybody attempt a conversation with me on a plane in a long time. And I'm not like Mr. Prickly Pear. I don't look, don't talk to me. It just is everybody's gotten used to yeah, that yeah. little body bubble and they stay to themselves. Maybe, I don't know. I don't initiate and they don't seem to do it either. Only occasional. Unpleasant. Looks like if they have to get up to go to the bathroom. Yes, I'm getting up. I'm not. Can't you hold it? Yeah. Real quick, a little bit. So, we always go back to some health issues and health tech and all that. We have our watches and stuff. So I've been upgrading a few things. So I got a new chair, desk chair, probably the, it's like a $280 desk chair for my computer because I pull a desk, a drawer out. And when you have arms, you're always typing like this, or you're like this. And right. So these arms flip up out of the way, but I can pull them down when I need it to feel comfortable. So I don't feel like I'm going to fall over. Uh, for you. It's got an adjustable back, adjustable seat up and down. I got a new thing for my feet. So it's got me at that right angles. Exactly. So everything is perpendicular and yeah. yeah, good for you. So for my lower back, my lower back has been hurting and I guarantee it's this old bed that I put back up <laughs> that I still had that I had to use. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I'm going to go another 10 years or something with this bed. Are you crazy? And I'm, I'm going to be walking stooped over and not be able to stand up. So I went and got a bed and it's a nice bed, a nice bed. But the cool thing was I, we talk about this too. I got the floor model. So I got the mattress with the adjustable base, some pillows and a mattress topper 
for just a little bit more than the whole mattress was if it was brand new and not the floor model. So very good. Uh, and the and this is the cool part: the adjustable. And of course, it's all tech. It's got whatever technology. So if I'm laying there and the dog jumps on it, it's not go bounce me around and wake me up. It has the foam that conforms to you, and and the pillows have cooling technology, so you don't sweat and get super hot. But there the really base, are advancements in materials yes. and stuff like that, that are yes. worth doing that. Like you said, better beds, better pillows. It, it's good. guaranteed for 10 years, but they say they normally last 20 to 25. Fantastic. So if something goes wrong over the next 10 years, they fix it, they replace it, whatever. But the bed, the base is adjustable. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I wonder if I could tie in, test it. If my head's up more, what's my snoring the next day on my Fitbit? Yeah. Now we're getting into the data. Let's see what really works. If my legs are up or they're bent, or if it's whatever different, how's my sleep compared? You know, let's do a week of each difference and compare them and check and whatever. So you're not the only one doing that and thinking of doing that. There's a whole bunch of body hackers. That's what they do is they literally collect data on themselves all the time and they use that to tune. I'm better in the morning than in the afternoon. I have less pain if I wear this kind of shirt instead of this. And you, it's funny, some of the things they found out, you'd think, well, I wouldn't even have thought to differentiate in that way, but it inspires me to monitor my sleep, the big things, and see what am I eating? Obviously, that's a big one, but also what am I doing and when am I doing it? And you're saying, let the data guide you. You know what I mean? What, right. what you, why wouldn't you do something that's going to make you healthier, that's going to get you more rest? Right. And there's a couple things a lot of people don't think are as important as they really are. Sleep is huge. That's one of the biggest ones for your health. You know, the, what you're eating and moving and exercise, not sitting all the time. That's right. big. But I was even talking to when I was buying the bed, chiropractors, what sold me on chiropractors was I've always had issues with my sinuses and breathing and allergies. And just, I used to get shots because I was so bad year round with allergies and can't breathe. And that's histamine response or something like whatever. It does. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I'm an overachiever because that's why I can't breathe because one little bit of pollen and my sinus, my allergies kick in and it just floods it as if it's the worst thing ever. I'm an overachiever in that regard. <laughs> Yay me. As you know, autoimmune diseases really are like that, right? Yeah. That your body over responds to intrusion and it can actually cause all those, all the inflammation the that you don't want. And it can actually be like, wow, something about you. I think it's an intruder. And then you get really bad results. Anyway. Morning. Yeah. <laughs> right. When you're perpetually in a, a combat, right. your body never gets, okay, it's, we're all safe now. <laughs> it, it, it's either nothing or open the floodgate. That's like that. all you get. The bed, I can raise my head. So that should help the sleeping. But one of the, the other drainage. things, okay. yeah, one of the other things I've discovered in my life is chiropractors. And I haven't been able to go because of uh, we can talk healthcare too, <laughs> but the, what sold me on it was I was talking to the, the chiro first chiropractor I ever went to and they say, we can help with sleep. We can help with snoring. Oh, okay. And we can help with allergies. I'm like, how the hell do you help with allergies? So like a lot of times the problem is things get caught and it, that's what starts triggering it. So the nerves coming out of the base of your skull, if they're compacted a little bit, it makes it think that your allergies are acting up and that's the sinuses. Yeah. They get swollen a little bit in reaction to that. He okay. said, so if the nerve is unpinched, it opens that up. And that's one of the things I'm like, okay, whatever. So he did his adjustment. They don't like to call it cracking your back. It's an adjustment. Okay. And literally Alan, I felt my sinuses drain. I literally felt it drain huh. in my, and I'm like, I'm coming back here. If I would go two, three times a month, which gets super expensive, I probably would be able to breathe a whole lot better. So it is a goal of mine. But right now, I'm getting a better bed. So okay. hopefully that'll help. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I've been a big fan of massages for a long time because I'm well aware of I store tension from my writing, from my poor body posture, whatever else it might be, and getting that relief in my neck, in my forearms. I got mousing muscles that get overstrained. It really does me good. I've always been a little bit spooked by chiropractic because of that. The adjustments are like making big popping noises and stuff. And I just <laughs> so much don't want to be 
oh, that was inconvenient. I'm now paralyzed. I don't think that really happens, but that right. image in my mind is so scary. Absolutely. That I, I must, I also have, I don't know that I want anything drastic well, or muscle nerve stuff. I've gotten over that just because I've gone to enough chiropractors over time. Okay. And I've also and got had good results. Yes. That would be a convincer for me. Is Yes. So I've also got scoliosis. So on this side of my back, my muscles are pulled, stretched. On this side, they're bunched up. And you can even see, if you look at me, next time we're standing there sometime, watch, my one shoulder is lower and the other is higher because of that. But if I go to a chiropractor regularly and I stretch, it's not just a a cure pill. I still got to stretch and do some exercise for strengthening. But when I do that, you literally can see my shoulders balance out over a month or two. And then if I stop going, they drift again. And my one leg is a quarter inch shorter. And if I go to a chiropractor enough, it balances that out. And I don't feel the stretch and pain on that either. So your gait is more regular. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something. They don't have that on the Fitbit watch to monitor yet. Electrical signals (laughs) through your skeletal frame to tell you what's off. That would be cool. A little scary. There's our nanobots coming in again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so I'm getting this bed. I think they're delivering it Thursday. But yeah, so I'm getting it Thursday. I'll sleep on it Thursday night. Then Friday, I'm going camping for the whole weekend. I'm going to sleep on a stupid air mattress. So right, that's <laughs> let's get all perfect and then go over here. And we're going to undo. Yeah, all the good my work. cats are going to enjoy the bed for the weekend. <laughs> Colleen and I laugh about we're just not big campers. We must admit our idea of roughing it is no remote control. You know what I mean? So when we like. My again, my image unfortunately is did I pitch my tent like in an anthill on a rock with the water flowing down when it starts to rain? You know what I mean? I just I really like the out of doors, but I want to be done with it at well, the end of the day and go to a hotel room where I have a good bed and a good lock and a good shower. I've done 15 mile hikes, but I didn't then unroll my 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 sleeping bag. I got really restful sleep, and that enabled me to do it the next day. Well, to be fair, I have done big camping. I've done backpacking in the mountains, carried everything on my back. I have done that, but I'm over 50. I want to go and relax and enjoy myself. So I'm staying with my cousin who has a camper, which is really just a mobile, small mobile hotel room, a campground. So it's more for relaxing with family than camping. <laughs> I'll tell you a, a term that just appeared on my horizon like maybe two years ago is you know, Bing, yes. glamour camping where it's like, we're around a campfire and I'm having crepes Suzette somehow. You know what I mean? We got like, electricity and Wi-Fi and, and a TV. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what my cousin does. He's like, I'm camping. I'm like, Gary, you're not camping. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a lot of roughing it going on. No. Like when you can get up and go have someone and get a hot coffee and have a warm shower. That's not camping, Gary. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, we also talk about this. I love the material science that has let us come up with this sleeping bag is good to negative 20. If you just put yourself in it and have your little pool. I had one of those. You can survive negative 20 overnight. Wow. The fact that it's all perfectly fluffy air trap and that I, you, it's something you can carry, that you can roll it right. up. I just love that someone, Patagonia, whoever else, has come up with all these. When Colleen and I go to our Banff Mountain Film Festival each year to see all the adventure films, they have all the advertisements for the various different, these guys make the perfect backpack, the perfect bedroll, that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, but when do we go where it's negative 20? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I have slept in a tent in a sleeping bag and it was negative 12. We had a small blizzard. Uh, wow. So okay. they call, we did it, got our, in scouts, we got our polar bear camping badge. And I had one of those where it was. So the interesting thing was they were four man tents, but because we knew this blizzard was moving in and we were expected to get eight inches of snow and negative temperatures and stuff, we put five and six people into a tent just to help with the the body heat. Yeah. Even though we're all in our sleeping bags, it was better. We woke up in the morning and all of our breath had frozen, condensed on top of the thing. And it was snowing inside the tent on top of us. (laughs) Created your own personal weather. Yes. That's yep. very funny. So I've done that. I see. So that's when I say, and I have started campfires in the rain 
with no like gas or kerosene and only two matches. I have done that. So I do, I can brag because it's just the truth. That's just what I've yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. It ain't bragging if you've done it. That's, yes. That's but uh, I don't choose to do it now. <laughs> All right. It's getting late, man. All of that good, good book recommendations today. Uh, yes. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to the next thing. Yep. So very good. Have a very good fourth. Yes. We will. I'm coming back in town and we have we're going to see some fireworks for the first time in a long time when we're home well, i shouldn't say in a long time we love it when we get to go to our lake and see a nice firework display and not be well we're on the top of a garage in a foreign city where we can just barely make things out it's nice to have that little hometown feel and all right. the kids and doggies and everything running so right. happy independence day yep. america let's put the independence in that how about that <laughs> all right man later right. take care bye-bye You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.